the goodness of Jesus, the grace of our loving God, the mercy that he displays to us, we see that constantly in Jonah chapter 2. I'd encourage you to take your Bibles with me and go to Jonah chapter 2 as we continue our study through this book, short book, a little short mini-series through the month of August here, as we look at the prodigal prophet. And today we want to look at the psalm of the prodigal in Jonah chapter 2. Jonah chapter 2. I have, uh, one of the things I love doing is watching like docudrama series. And one of the ones, obviously, I like food. And so I want to watch, there's a show called The Food That Made America. I don't know if any of you have seen it or not. It's, it's really neat. It goes through things like Heinz Ketchup and Heinz 57. It talks about Milton Hershey. It talks about uh, uh, bird's eye food, Post cereal, Kellogg cereal, all the different big, big name food conglomerates that really made, made America as diabetic as we are. Um, <laughs> and so we, we look and we, we go through. But I, I love, and it's, it's because of the stories. It's because of what, what is behind the person that I enjoy and I'm intrigued by it. If I were to ask you about Milton Hershey, many of you here could probably give a good litany of Hershey Food Company or Hershey, Hershey Chocolates. I know there's a difference there, sorry. Um, and uh, you would be able to tell the story of Milton Hershey and how it all came about. But some of the other ones, maybe not. And the reason we can't always do that is because we, we don't know the, all the stories. We haven't heard them. And that's what I like about this series, is that it gives those, those backstories, those little moments of failure, the moments when they realize, I'm at rock bottom. You know, when Heinz is arrested because he can't pay his debts and how he comes back from that to create Heinz ketchup and Heinz 57 sauce and all those different things. It's amazing to me to watch how people come from the moments of failure to be able to be used and to do something. Well, Jonah chapter two is that moment. Jonah chapter two is when Jonah hits rock bottom. It's the story that's going to let us into his life a little bit more. And it really does complete and round out the story of Jonah. When we left off last week, we left off with Jonah deciding that he was going to disobey the Lord's leadership and that God's leadership was not enough for him. So he decided that he was going to run the other way. He goes down to Joppa, he gets on a boat, and he's going to take his chances with God in the sea. And we know how that turns out because God hurls the storm at him. As we talked about, it's the word of a spear being thrown at. And this great storm comes at the boat and comes at Jonah. And Jonah's going to look at the sailors after he's awoken by, the, awoken by the, the captain of the ship and saying, hey, you need to pray to your God too. And he wakes up and he, he comes aboard. And as he gets up, the, the lots fall upon Jonah. And everybody finds out that Jonah is the reason for this storm. And Jonah says, well, it is because I serve the God who created the land and the sea. And instantly those sailors are looking on, what are you doing? Are you crazy? You've put us in this situation. They bombard him with all these questions. And Jonah looks and says, just throw me overboard. If you throw me overboard, the storm will cease. And after much reluctance, as we talked last week, they're rowing and they're trying to get back to shore. They don't want to instantly chuck him into the sea, but they eventually do. They take Jonah, they throw him overboard, and the, the, the wind and the waves stop. And it seems like at this point, Jonah's prepared to die. We don't know anything other than that until we come to that next verse. When Jonah is tossed into the sea, he doesn't know about uh, a great fish. He has no clue that all he knows is God has told him somehow he needs to get thrown over into the sea. And it seems like at this point, he's prepared to die until he hits the water. And at that point, he's like, uh, 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 
this, and we get that from t- chapter 2. Chapter 2, we're going to see that as he's, he's floating around, he's, he's going to all of a sudden change his mind. Things are going to be a little bit different here. Now, we don't know how long Jonah floated in the water. Did he instantly hit? Did he tread for a while? Did God come? I mean, we always see like instantly he hits and here comes this big fish, you know, like taking a lure off the top of the water to, to take out Jonah. We don't know if that's what happened or if he was floating in the water for a good amount of time. All we know is that God has prepared this great fish to swallow Jonah. And that's where we find ourselves in chapter 1, verse 17, right before. And actually in the Hebrew Bible, this is actually verse number 1. Of, of the chapter because it sort of completes the, the chapter as a whole. So the Lord prepared a great fish, it says in verse uh, 17, prepared a great fish to swallow of Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. The word here for prepared, it's the word we actually have the word manna from. It has the idea of to provide, to, to appoint something. And so God has appointed and prepared this fish for a specific task. In fact, this word shows up three more times in the book, in the chapter four, when God is going to create a plant to grow up and give shade to Jonah and then appoint a worm to come and destroy the plant and then appoint a wind to shrivel up the plant. There, it has a specific purpose. It has a specific task. And so this fish, whatever it may be, this great fish is appointed to swallow Jonah. It has a specific task to fulfill. Now the questions come up. What, what kind of fish was it? Well, in Jonah we have, it's, it says it's just a great fish. We know that Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12 and verse number 40, he uses the Greek word for a whale. Was, so was it, was it a, a large type of whale? Was it a specific type of whale? We, we, don't, we don't really know. It could be a whale. It could be a different fish. We know this, that it was a, it was a fish that was designed for a unique situation. It was appointed by God for a purpose to swallow Jonah. We can't be 100% certain. I lean toward the idea of a whale because Jesus used that a little bit more specific word in that. But again, what kind of whale? Was it a blue whale? Was it a sperm whale? Was it a beluga whale? Was it a, a killer whale? We, we don't know. And honestly, we spend, conservative scholars have spent way too much time trying to figure out the exact type of fish that it was. We don't know and they don't know and they will never know this side of glory. Okay, so, so we don't know. Could this really happen? I mean, can, can someone really get swallowed by a fish and, and live? There's stories about people being swallowed by a fish. There's stories of uh, divers who have been, you know, caught up by a, a whale and then spit back out. And there, there are those types. Probably the most famous one is uh, a story from the, the 1800s, 1891, about a gentleman named James Bartley who was a, a whaler on a ship and the ship got sunk, and the whale swallowed him. And then after that, the, they found they, they got this whale. They saw something moving in the stomach. They slit the stomach open, and out comes James Bartley. This has been go, this this has been published, and it's been documented in museums and different places for over a hundred years. Recently, there's been a number of people who've went through and done the history and found out that the star of the East ship wasn't actually even a whaling ship that James Bartley was never on a manifest for. We don't know. Honestly, it doesn't matter. Because when it comes down to a man being swallowed by a whale, it's a miracle, period. This is a miraculous action of God. God breaks into human 
normalcy. And it's something that you can't re-explain. I mean, think about all the miracles of the Bible. If, if we have to have a documented evidence of, of somebody being swallowed by a whale for us to believe that, somebody that a whale swallowed a human, if we need that to be replicated to prove that, how many of you have ever found a talking donkey? Anybody ever found a, a bear that a prophet can call down to chase after kids? Anybody ever, I mean, let's, how, how many of you can have seen the replication of fish and bread being made into enough to feed tens of thousands of people? They're not replicated. They're, they're beyond our explanation because it's a miraculous event that occurs. God naturally breaks into the supernatural order of things. And that's what happens here. So does it, does it really matter? The reason we believe this happened is because God in his inspired word said that a man was swallowed by a whale. That's why we believe this. So when we look at this, this account, we don't know what type of fish it was. That's okay. We know that this was a miraculous fish appointed for a specific purpose with the intent of bringing judgment to this man and to help him to learn, to, to learn a lesson. I mean, when we think about it, the whale shows God's authority went well beyond the borders of Israel. Jonah is fleeing the presence of the Lord. He thinks if I get out of Israel, if I get away from the presence of God, all the things that are happening that are God-inspired God and God-directed, I'll be okay. And yet now he's outside the borders of Israel and God is looking and saying, I still have authority. The whale is appointed by me for a specific purpose. The whale shows God's mercy being extended to Jonah, the unlikeliest of candidates at this moment. God's mercy is beyond our comprehension. You may be sitting here today and say, I am so far gone. You may be listening online and saying, I am so far away from anything God-like that I could never experience God's mercy. That is the farthest thing from the truth. God extends his mercy. His mercy is more. It's stronger than darkness. It's new every morning. We just sang about God's mercy. It's a wonderful thing that is extended even to Jonah, the man who at this moment is defiantly saying, I'm running away from you, God. I want nothing to do with your leadership in my life. I want nothing to do with your plans for my life, so I'm going to do my own thing. And yet God in his mercy says, I've got more for you. I've got something bigger for you. And he appoints this fish, this whale, to come and to swallow Jonah whole and, and keep him in his belly for three days and, and three nights. Have you ever dished out punishment maybe to your kids because you know they knew better or they've done it a couple times over and they get a little bit stronger punishment because it's like you, you knew better than that. And maybe the punishment is a little more severe because they have, they have violated maybe this multiple times. Jonah knew better. Jonah knew better than to try and run from the presence of God. And yet he does, and he, gets a, he faces a severe punishment. God is going to punish him. The belly of the whale, though, is it's a, not a good place to live. It really isn't, but it is a great place to learn. And in our lives, we may not be sitting in the belly of a whale, but you may be at the, the deepest parts of your life. You may be facing despair, hardship, difficulties, and oftentimes in our hardships, as where we're able to learn the most. The difficulties we face in life, the, the tragedies, 
They bring us to a point where we're low, and it's not a place we want to live, and it's not a place we want to settle our lives. And yet it's a place where we can learn much about God. And that's what we learn in Jonah chapter 2. Jonah chapter 2 is actually, it's, it's a prayer, but it's, it's turned into a psalm. Jonah gives a psalm of thanksgiving. He's going to sing of the thanksgiving of God to, to God. He's going to give him praise in chapter 2. And as we, we look through, it took Jonah being tossed overboard, swallowed by a whale, to get to the point where he prays. This is the first time in the book that he's talking to God, even that we have an accounting of. He was told to pray. He should have been praying all along, but he doesn't. And so this, this prophet of few words in the book turns, and this is the most we have uh, spoken by Jonah. Other than that, there's, there's very few words said by Jonah. Jonah chapter two is the most we have. So whether this psalm is constructed while he was in the belly of the whale thinking about it, or afterwards thinking back to what he was going through, what it does show us is it shows us that Jonah's attitude his situation, his contemplations while he's in the belly of the whale. That's what chapter two shows us. And so let's look through, let's just walk through these 10 verses quickly this morning and just see what, what is Jonah thinking about? What is he learning? And how can we apply that to, to our lives? He says, I cried. I cried out by reason of my affliction to the Lord. So he, he, as he's praying in the belly of the whale, verse two, I cried by reason of my affliction. Mine affliction is often translated as distress. It's the word that's used for the travail a child experiences during childbirth. Not the mother, but the child. And you, you think about it, it, it really does, think, it does work well, that picture of Jonah being cramped into the belly of a whale. And so he talks about his distress and the hardship that he went through. He's one, as he's fleeing here, we now have him fleeing to God in prayer. And in those hardships of our life and the difficulties, that's where we need to run. We too many times in our cultures run to so many different things. So many people run to substance abuse. They run to, to different people, and yet Jonah, Jonah shows us, hey, run, run to God. Flee, flee to God, and the Lord graciously hears Jonah. There is a grace that, that is amazing from God. To have somebody who's shaking his fist at God and saying, I'm not going to do what I'm, you want. I'm going to flee from your presence. And yet when he turns to prayer, God graciously hears. He says it out of my affliction, and he heard me. Jonah has that confidence that even in the midst of his distress, even in the midst of his rebellion, God heard the prayer of a repentant soul. And he says, out of the belly of hell in the kingdom, it says, out of the belly of hell cried I, and you heard my voice. The, the word hell here is the word that's it's used for Sheol. It is the place of the dead. It's the, the depths of the grave. And so what Jonah is saying here is from my watery grave. Jonah's still, I mean, he knows he's living, and he's thankful that he's living, and yet he's still faced with the, the reality that death is, is imminent upon him. It is, it is there. And so he says, from my watery grave. He didn't, Jonah did not go to hell. During this time, he went to the place of the dead. He's, he's seeing this as his watery grave. He says, Jonah cries out and the Lord heard him again. Jonah's simple ability just to breathe and to have uh, a continued living presence was cause for rejoicing. And what a reminder to us. Do we do that in the mornings? Do we do that at the end of the day? To rejoice that God gave us another day. To count his mercies new today. 
to be able to wake up. Even in the, you, you may be in a situation where the, the terminal diseases are just weighing you down, and yet when you wake up in the morning, you give praise to God because you are able to live another day. That may be hard because it's like the pain, the suffering, and yet Jonah says, just for me to be able to live is cause for rejoicing. And Jonah recognized this, that God heard his prayer even in a distressful situation. In the midst of this distress, the times when we feel like, does God even care? Does God even know that I'm existing because of all this stuff that's happening in my life? Jonah recognized, he says, I cried out in my affliction. I cried out of the depths of my watery grave. And both times he says, and God heard me. You may be in a situation where you are so distraught Life has just handed you so many lemons, you don't even, lemonade doesn't, you, the thoughts of lemons just make you sick. And you're looking and saying, does God know? Does God, absolutely. His grace is sufficient. He wants to hear from you and he will hear. And so he goes, he moves from this, this prayer to now he's gonna report. He's gonna give you a little report on his personal crisis. Look in verse three and following. For thou hast cast me into the deep. In the midst of the sea, and the floods compassed me about, and the billows and thy waves, thy billows and thy waves, they passed over me. They, they look here, Jonah recounts being thrown overboard here. He's talked about, okay, I've been heaved into the sea like a rag doll and being tossed about by these, these waves back and forth, back and forth. And as he's talking about it, Jonah is saying these waves, the sea, the wind, he sees them as the servant of God to punish him. Notice, notice what he says. He doesn't say the sailors threw me overboard, does he? For thou, he's talking about God. He says, this was your plan. This is what you're doing. You cast me overboard. Not the sailor's fault. It's there. He even goes on and he says, you and thy, two different times in the, in the verse there. He says, your billows or your wind, your waves, thy waves, they are what are crashing on me in this situation. He recognized very clearly God is in sovereign control. He recognized it in the midst of his distress, in the midst of his punishment here, that God was sovereignly in control, that God is not caught off guard, that God is well aware of his situation, and he says it is you that are causing this, and that's, that's important in the process of his repentance because he knows that God is against what he is doing. God is against why he is doing, why, God is against his, his ways. And so as he's looking, he's saying to, to Jonah, saying to God, I know that what I've done displeases you. It's your billows, your waves that are coming against me. He goes on in verse number four, he says, then I said, I'm cast out of your sight, yet I will look again toward the holy temple. It's not that Jonah cannot see, uh, that God cannot see Jonah, but that Jonah has fallen out of favor with God. This, this phrase here, where it talks about that I'm cast out of your sight. It's a, it's a phrase of divine displeasure. Jonah recognizes that God is not pleased, and yet he would pray. And yet he would pray again. And the idea is he continually expressed prayer to God. And in the depths of his despair, he shows the hope of his height, the height of his hope in this verse. Look what he says. He says, yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. He seems to have no doubt about his deliverance, that he will one day look again on the holy temple, 
that he will be able to walk on onto land and to see it. He's confident of it, and so he shows his deep plight, and yet you see his deep faith in God's mercy. Jonah, in a remarkable way, says, I believe that God is going to deliver. He's, he's allowing me to be swallowed by the whale at this point. So his thanksgiving was not totally just based on his deliverance from drowning, but also based on the deliverance from the fish as well. Jonah's believing that one day he will see this holy temple again, so that he found himself alive, even in a terrifying situation. Jonah took to be a miracle of God. He saw that God is doing something great here. God is, in the midst of my hardship, God is teaching me. In the midst of my hardship, God will deliver me. In the midst of my difficulty, God is merciful. And he is still there and he is still present and he is still watching and listening and caring. And so Jonah, Jonah moves on and he, he learns that receiving God's mercy upon repentance is part of God's plan for his people. Sometimes it's hard for us to receive God's mercy. You feel like you're so far away from God. You feel like you've stayed so far. You've fallen into tragic sin. You've fallen into hardships. And you're like, does, does, is God's mercy sufficient for me? Absolutely. Absolutely. Jonah, in the midst of it, looks and says, I need to receive God's mercy. I need to receive it and, and move forward and understand that, that God is in control. And so as Jonah lays in this great fish, as he's laying there, he continues to reflect on the miraculous deliverance from the sea. He goes on in verse number five. The waters, they compassed me about, even to the soul. The depths closed round about me. The weeds were wrapped about my head. In graphic detail, Jonah's painting this picture of the sea all around him, the seaweed being wrapped around him, the, the water as it's, as it's climbing, the, the phrase, even to my soul. It can also be used, it's used in Proverbs for the, the slitting of the throat. The, the, word, the word that's used here can be the throat. So the water is now, it's up to, it's, it's going up and it's going higher and Jonah is sinking and sinking. Whether it's him treading water and he can't do it anymore and he just feels himself, it, it's done. He's looking and he's saying, all of this is just coming about, round about me. He's drawing this picture of utter helplessness. That there is nothing that I can humanly do. Sometimes we think that although we're drowning badly in our, in our sorrows, in our difficulties, in our hardships, in our, in our lives, in our choices that we make, we, we feel like we can muster up enough effort, enough strength to do it ourselves. And yet Jonah is making it clear that that's not so. We need God, we need his grace, we need his mercy and his strength to enable us and to help us to endure through life's difficulties and through life's hardships. And so Jonah is looking and saying, there's nothing I could do at this point. In my life, I was utterly helpless. And at times in our lives, help and hope are completely, they are humanly out of reach. And yet God's mercy will go to the depths for a repentant child. He longs to lift up. He longs to reach down and to give strength. That is part of God's plan. He's all along. He knows that there will be moments in our life where we wander, where we stray. He knows that there will be times when we feel utterly helpless. And yet he says, I'm here. I'm here and I want to help. I want to give you the strength and the hope that you need to endure the hardships, to endure the hard times. Notice the descent of Jonah that occurs here. 
Verse 3, you have him sort of around the surface. They have been cast into the, the waters. They're around me. The billows are, are there. Verse 5, you have it up to the throat. He's sinking down. And then you get to verse number 6. He says, I went down to the bottoms of the mountain. Now he's going to, he's swallowed by this whale. He knows that he is in the depths of the sea. He moves down. He says, I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars were about me forever. Yet thou hast brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. The bottom of the mountains being the depths of the sea. Now there's a phrase in here that talks about her bars. Uh, her bars were about me. There's, there's a couple different possibilities that are, that are thrown around. It could be the sandbars at the bottom of the ocean that he's saying, I'm, I'm at the, the, the depths and this is going to be my grave at the, in the sandbars of the ocean. Or it could be the idea that there was believed that Sheol, the place of the grave, was, was guarded or was closed in by gates with bars. Either way, he's, he's showing the depths of his despair, the depths of his difficulty, and the fact that he felt like he was at the end of his life. He was feeling that, that difficulty. And so we have this descent down into the grave with, with Jonah. He feels being in the deepest parts of the ocean as far removed from the human world as possible to conceive has cast him out of God's favor. That's where he's battling. All the things I've done, the choices I've made, where I'm at, I, I must be out of God's favor at this point in my life. And yet he comes to the point where he's going to, he's going to give God praise. Verse 6 is really the turning point in the psalm. It's the, it's the point where, where, where change, change occurs. Jonah shares an expression at the very end of praise where he says, yet you have brought up from life, my, my life from corruption, from the moments of death, from the difficulties, the despair, everything I'm in, you have brought me up. Everything, everything in the book of Jonah up to this point, which direction have we been going? We've been going down. He went down to Joppa. He went down into the ship. He went down into the sides of the ship as he's tossed into the sea. He's going down up to his neck. Now he's down at the bottom of the ocean. And now you have him recognizing God, yet through all of that, you have brought me up. You are the one who came in and you swooped in and put your arms around me and are lifting me up. You have something else planned for me. He gives himself and he, he praises God in that verse. He says, oh Lord, my God. He makes a declaration, a recognition that you are my God. Jonah sees the power, the grace of God at this point. He, he, he is now seeing him as being retrieved from the grave. He knows he's going to, to see the holy place again, the holy temple. He knows that his prayers are being heard, and yet he went down and God brought him up. Jonah makes this declaration that God is his Lord. Even in the midst of our lives, even in the midst of our despair, there has to come that point in the middle of repentance, somewhere in there like, Lord, I have been rebelling against you, against your leadership. God, you are my God. You are the one who is the authority. You are the one who is in control. You are the one I need to be trusting. And even if it seems utterly ridiculous, I need to be trusting in you. And that's where Jonah has to, has to come to. Jonah was overcome with praise for God who had shown his mercy, who had shown, yet you have done this, oh Lord my God. He gives him praise. He exalts his name, even in the midst of his despair. And now we, he moves and he says, God has done this. And so there's going to be this rescue. There's going to be this divine rescue and Jonah's response to the rescue. We teach our children, don't we, to respond appropriately when somebody shows them grace. 
When somebody does something nice for them, you should go, you should say thank you. You should shake their hand and appreciate them. That you should acknowledge that they've done something kind and respectful or gracious to you or for you. That's what Jonah's gonna do here in, in these verses. He's going to recognize that God did something gracious and he's once again going to give him praise. He's going to give him thanksgiving for what he's done. He says, when my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came in unto thee in thy holy temple. The word remembered here is a mental act of focusing attention on something. Jonah says in the depths, in the midst, in the despair, I focused my attention. It's not that he had forgotten God. His actions showed that he didn't care what God thought. Now he comes back and says, wait. I'm going to focus my attention on where my attention ought to be. On my God. Not on my situation. Not on my commission, what I've been called to do. I'm going to first and foremost focus on the Lord my God. I remembered my God. I remembered the Lord while his soul was fainting and my prayer came in unto thee. It's not that Jonah forgot, simply that he returned his gaze in the last moments of his thoughts, his life. It's almost like he hit the brink and finally he's like, why am I fighting the creator? Why am I fighting the one who gives me life and breath? Why am I fighting the one who appoints all things? Why am I fighting the one who has given direction to my life? Stop fighting him and surrender to him. Stop fighting his ways and say, I am going to. And that's what Jonah does. Jonah says, I remembered the Lord. Though there's a great debate, honestly, about Jonah's repentance. Does Jonah repent? Does he not? Does he fully repent? Because by the time we get to chapter four, when we get there in two weeks, we'll discuss some of that. What, what happened with Jonah? What about his heart? There's at least, I believe, a partial change here. There's, there's a point here where he's like, I, I'm coming back, and I'm going, to, I'm going to obey. I'm going to follow through. Whether it was just because he just didn't want to die or because he had a genuine, we, don't, we can't argue the heart. We can be skeptical at times, can't we? Can we not? Oh, somebody did something so bad and then they repent and, and, and our human heart is like, yeah, but did they really? I don't know about that. Am I the only one who's ever done that? I know that's really bad for a pastor to admit. Um, but but can, we, can we have that heart? And we can look, but Jonah here, there is, there is a reality that he comes to a point of change to a degree in, in his life here. Jonah forsakes his running with the intent to change. And he has an intent of serious consideration of the righteous path. To look and to say, and remember, Jonah's not this fly-by-night guy. He's been a prophet of God, a successful prophet of God for years. And yet he's looking and he's saying, I, I'm going to get back to remembering the Lord. And he's going to hear my prayers, which, which says that he's going to do what? He's going to pray. There's, there's a desire to get back to some of the righteous, righteous things. He says that they observe lying vanities. Now, verse 8 gets a little weird. Like, what, why in the middle of this does he talk about they observe lying vanities, forsake their own mercy? The, the word for lying vanities can also be, and some of your translations may have this, the idea of worthless idols. There's a number of times in Psalms where it comes up that way. The, the, this word, these words are, they forsake their worthless idols. And so Jonah compares the other, what others often do with what he is going to do. He's gonna say in verse eight, 
they that observe lying vanities, they forsake, or worthless idols, they forsake the mercy that could be offered to them. But I'm going to, and he's going to give the, the but there in verse number nine. But those who worship idols, they make sacrifices, commitments, they make vows to these idols that can do nothing for them. Now you may say, well, I don't worship idols, but I remind you, the prophets talk about the idols of the heart. Those things that we place before God. It could be a vehicle. It could be success. It could be fame. It could be fortune. It could be a job situation. It could be a relationship. It could be anything like that that we place before God that says this is of utmost importance. And we place those before God. They're called idols of the heart. And Jonah is saying idols are worthless. Now he's talking about the ideas of the stone and, and the silver and the gold. and saying, I mean, think about it. What would Jonah's floating around in the sea? Here, have a gold statue. What's it going to cause him to do? Sink faster. Is that, I mean, even, even a wooden idol, okay, well, it'll float. For how long in a raging sea that God's... He, Jonah recognized, like, they're worthless. They're going to do me nothing, and they're, they're going to do you nothing. Good. They're, they're, they're pointless. Even the idols of our heart, they may seem like they make our life easier, but if they remove us further and further from God, it makes our life more difficult because God is the one we need to remember. God is the one we need to have at the center of our lives. We need to forsake those. And, and those who don't forsake their worthless idols, those who don't, they lose out on the mercy of God. They miss the mercy of God. But Jonah says, they, they, where he says they forsake their own mercy, the mercy that could be forwarded to an idolater is forfeited because they refuse to worship the true and living God. They don't receive God's mercy because they're rebelling against God. He says, come back to God. In order to experience God's mercy, idolaters must abandon their loyalty to their supposed gods, realizing just how impotent these gods are. Focused, remembering the true God. Even in the midst of our despair, even in the midst of our ways, remembering that God is the one who is to be at the center of my life. He says, but I will sacrifice. He contrasts himself then. He says, these people will, will sacrifice to these idols. And it's, it's, it's of no avail. And yet Jonah looks and says, I'm going to do something a little bit different. He says in verse number nine, but I will sacrifice unto thee, talking about to God, with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that which I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. Jonah summarizes, he wraps up his psalm just like David does many times with, a, with an accolade to who God is and what he will do in response to the way God has worked through his despair and the way God has shown his grace and his mercy. He looks and he says, I'm going to sing a song of thanksgiving. The vows that I have made, I'm going to fulfill them whether that is the, the, the commitment to go back to preach to Nineveh, as we'll see in chapter three, or it's him just looking and saying, when I get on dry land, you know what's gonna happen? I'm going to go offer sacrifice and I'm going to give God praise and I'm going to let people know what, he made some sort of commitments and vows and he, he had the intention to live them out. We need to be doing the same. When God brings us through those difficult times, when God brings us through the hardships and the, 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 the distress of our life, to look and to say, God, I want to offer you praise. I want to offer you thanksgiving because deliverance, salvation is of the Lord. It is of no other way. It is only through the Lord 
Salvation is only through God. He's the only one who is able to deliver. Deliverance, it is a cause for celebration. Deliverance is a cause for sacrifice and a cause for commitment. That is what we ought to, when we think about our salvation, we ought to be giving praise. We ought to be celebrating that in our life. We ought to be offering sacrifices and commitment to our God because of how he has delivered us. Deliverance is not deserved by anyone. It is an act of mercy by a gracious God. I do not deserve to be saved. You do not deserve to be saved. We deserve death. Biblically speaking, we do not deserve to be able to enter into the courts of heaven. And then you have, to wrap it up, the projectile prophet. It is, it is the Lord spake to the fish and it vomited, as gross as that is, that's what happened, out of Jonah upon the dry land. I, I love this, Jonah's vomited out onto dry land. Do you remember chapter one, verse nine? What does he call it? He's the God of the sea and of the dry land. And Jonah, Jonah now is here, he's been brought up to dry land. Whether, whether the, the way, we were, Pastor Tony and I were joking about, did, did this fish that was created by God, did it have legs that it could walk up and not get, become a beached whale? We, we don't know. We, you know, was it literally projectile? Was it like, chew, you know, there you go, have fun, you're on dry land? We don't know. We don't know if he was able to swim up to a deep spot and there, we don't know all those things. That's okay. But what I think is interesting is God has clearly shown that he was right about the control of the sea. But now you also have that he's the God of the dry land as well. He brings them up full circle. The rescue attempt has been completed. It's not, it's not like, oh, you got to swim back to shore and do, no, God fully rescues Jonah, brings him up to dry land. He is set on dry land by this, by this whale and, and Jonah is there. Now, what happens if we don't have this chapter? Again, as I mentioned, this often is a chapter that sometimes we just gloss over because it's, it's a little bit different. It seems out of the, the norm to have this psalm and this prayer in the middle of this, this narrative story. If we don't have this chapter, we, we have no expression of Jonah's heart change that led to his obedience, at least to his partial obedience. If we don't have this chapter, we have no record of Jonah's thankfulness and God's mercy to Jonah. That, that this chapter shows that. This chapter shows us if we don't have it, we have no account of Jonah's experience in the sea and the belly of a fish other than he was in the belly of a fish three days, three nights. That's all we would have. But we get a little bit more of the experience, the depth that he sank to, the, the, the intensity of the ocean and the waves that are around him. I believe we would have a weaker picture of God's message of mercy, love, and forgiveness and how it extends to even the unlikely candidate how it extends to the person who is even in full rebellion against God, that his mercy and his grace even extends to the believer who is in rebellion, that God would still pick us up, the, the, the believer in the distressful times, that God is still there comforting and guiding and guarding. Final thoughts. As they, as they think through this passage, like Jonah, sinners can be rescued by God's grace and mercy. Jonah was rescued only through the Lord. Salvation is of the Lord. And if you are here today, I want you to, I want you to think about something. All of us are sinners. The Bible is very clear. You're listening online. The, the Bible is very clear. 
For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have all, are, we are all unable to attain God's standard of perfection. We've sinned. Whether it's lying or cheating or stealing, disrespectful attitude toward our parents, we could go on and on and on with the list. The Bible is just clear that all of us have sinned and because of our sin, we fall short of God's glory and the penalty, the wages, the payment for my sin, the payment for your sin is death. But the gift of God, the gracious gift of God is eternal life. How? Through the goodness of Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ our Lord. That is how a person is saved. Salvation is only through the Lord. And how did that happen? We know, many of you know that it, was a, it is able to happen because God loved the world so much that he sent Jesus Christ to come to the, this earth, to die on the cross for our sin, to be buried, and then was, rose again. And that's where Jesus refers back to this situation. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, where he says, just as Jonah, the, the Pharisees, they were all, all the religious leaders were seeking a sign. They wanted a sign. He says, you don't need any other sign than Jonah. That he was in the belly of the whale three days and three nights, and then here he comes out. And he, he references that because Jesus Christ is in the belly of the earth for three days, three nights, and is resurrected again. And the fact that Jesus Christ is resurrected gives us the hope of salvation, that he is the first fruits of the resurrection. Those of us who are in Christ Jesus, who are saved, will one day be resurrected again that we will be able to enter into heaven because of the glory of God, because of God's love for us. The only way to be saved is through Jesus Christ. It is to accept his gift of salvation, to repent from your sins, to turn from the way, and to put trust in Jesus Christ. And I, I beg that if you are here today and you're not sure you're on your way to heaven, please come talk with one of us afterwards. Talk with someone who may have brought you and ask them, how do I know for certain that I am on my way to heaven? You're listening online, and you're saying, I, I'm not sure I'm on my way to heaven, but I want to know for certain. Give us a call to the church. One of us would gladly come over and visit with you and show you how you can know for certain you're on your way to heaven. Because, like Jonah, sinners can be rescued, but it's only by God's grace and God's mercy. It's not by anything we do. Jonah had no ability to be able to get himself out of that situation. It was only through God's grace and mercy. Please, you're not saved. Today, make it the day of your salvation. The day that you know for certain you're on your way to heaven. I believe we can also say that believers should determine to follow God's leadership and share the gospel. That's where Jonah's being driven to. To say, wait, God is in control he is the one I remember. He is the one I want to follow and obey. And in, in sharing the gospel, that's what he was called to do. We need to be doing the same. We need to be following God's leadership in whatever it is in your life. And if you're not and you're saying, I need to change, I need to repent, then do that because the gracious hand of God is there waiting to help, waiting to extend mercy and forgiveness into your life just like he did with Jonah. And then lastly, believers should give praise and thanksgiving to God for his mercy. As we look in our lives, when we look at the salvation that God has given to us, we ought to give him praise. We ought to give him glory. We ought to be saying thank you 
Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. I can't comprehend it all, but yet, God, I am so thankful that you picked me up from the depths of my despair, that you set my feet upon a rock, that it is only through you that I am saved. And I want to give you the praise and the glory. And I want to give you the, the exaltation that is due to you. And so we ought to sing praise. Just like Jonah said, I will sing a song of thanksgiving. I want us to sing. Sing a song of thanksgiving today. It is a song that, that we know, Jesus, thank you. It talks about, if you're a believer here today, you ought to be able to lift your voices up and praise to God to say, Jesus, thank you.